Hey, Travis Rogers here. When you're not listening to me on the Lakers pre- and post-game shows, tune in to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, where she goes beyond the play and focuses on athletes, fans, and the biggest events that inspire and shape our community. Listen to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, Sundays, 5 to 6 a.m. ESPN LA 710. The Westside Food Bank is a warehouse that supplies the food assistant programs of over 70 social service agencies in West LA County. Their mission is to end hunger in our communities by providing access to free nutritious food through food acquisitions and distribution and by engaging the community and advocating for a strong food assistance network. Westside Food Bank's mission is to end hunger in our communities by providing access to free, nutritious food through food acquisition and distribution, and by engaging the community and advocating for a strong food assistance network. For more information, please log on to WSFB.org. That's Westside Food Bank at WSFB.org. I'm Laferne Cusack, and this is ESPN LA ESPN 710. ESPN LA Welcome to the experience here on ESPN LA 710. I'm Laferne Cusack. So happy to be speaking with one of my friends and cohorts uh, for many, many years now. She is the chief development officer for the Westside Food Bank. Genevieve Riotort, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Laferne. It is such a pleasure. And I was thinking this morning as I was preparing for our interview that my very first radio interview ever was with you. Oh, <laughs> I didn't remember that. Wow. Yep. Well, how did that experience go, Genevieve? <laughs> you know what? It was great. Although I think at the very beginning, I froze up and completely forgot our mission statement. <laughs> Um, because it was so, it was one of those things that I knew in my bones so yes. well that I didn't have it in my notes, and then I got nervous and forgot it. But was that for Radio Disney or for ESPN? I think it was for Radio Disney. Oh, you know what? I was thinking about that this morning too. I was like, oh yeah, I, yeah, that was your first one. I do remember that. Yeah, and so ever since then, I always put in my notes even the most obvious things that I know I know by heart because just in case I get nervous, which I don't anymore, especially not with you, um, I'll have it in front of me. You're, well, you're a seasoned <laughs> professional now. You had your own television show and your own radio show, right? You did another radio show, is that correct, or am I? Uh, well, I didn't do a radio show, but I did have a, a, a show. I did 30 episodes with Santa Monica City TV, and they actually still run every day wow. at 1130 on cityTV.org, so the audience can check that out. Fantastic. Um, interviewing all the nonprofit organizations that do work in Santa Monica. And many of those uh, are actually member agencies of the Westside Food Bank. So it was, it was definitely a, a good companion to my work with um, Hunger Relief. So tell me how that came together and how you matched up the organizations with your mission for the Westside Food Bank. Well, um, 
as you know, because we served together on the board of uh, what was at that time called Pirates, Print Interactive Radio and Television Educational Society, um, I met Robin G., who was the... Um, the bomb producer. diggity. Yes, she was, the, she was the big boss at City TV. She has like 17 <laughs> Emmy Awards and stuff for all the work she did there. She was, oh, yeah, she was she's great. amazing. And now she's with uh, L.A. County and, and their television station. Oh, I did not know that. Oh, yes. Cool. I think it's Channel 35 in L.A. Oh, I'll check it out. I'll, I'll give her a text. Yeah. And so she said, we just built these beautiful new studios and we're looking to produce some new shows. And I think you'd be great. And would you like to revive our uh, nonprofit profiles for Santa Monica? And I said, that sounds like a blast. And I knew that from Westside Food Bank's member agencies, there were so many that were doing great work in Santa Monica and that it would be a great opportunity for them to have some experience being on television and, um, you know, get the word out about their work. And, you know, we were just so generous about making sure that they would get video copies of, of all the interviews that we did. And it was really just such a great experience. And I was so happy to be able to shine a light on the great work that so many organizations are doing. Well, Genevieve, tell me the process for that. Was that mind blowing for you? Was it a lot of work? What was your preparation for doing the television show? Well, it was definitely a lot of work. It was, uh, I learned so much. And we really progressed because it was 30 episodes over three years. So we would do 10 episodes a year and I'd shoot two at a time. So, you know, I'd have to have wardrobe changes and of course there was no money for anything. So I had to do all my own makeup and eventually I recruited some volunteer makeup artists to come in and, and do, you know, touch-ups for me and for the guests. Um, and at first uh, we had one kind of camera that didn't have, um, you know, the, the, uh, what is that called when you... Teleprompter? When, yes, teleprompter. So I had, you know, I wrote all my own scripts. I did all my own introductions. So I had to do, you know, we had commercial breaks. So I would have to, you know, reintroduce every time we came in. So I, I did kind of three segments and I learned so much. And thankfully, they had such a great team. We had actually students from Santa Monica College that were in a broadcasting class. Mm -hmm. They were the camera operators. And then the staff at City TV kind of supervised them and did the editing. Um, and so by the second year, I had the teleprompter. Mm -hmm. So I'd have to write the scripts for that. Awesome. And, you know, we'd have to write, it was called the lower thirds when you put in people's names and what their titles are. So when they appear on screen, you can see who they are. And, uh, you know, by the second year, I think we got fancy and I had those like note cards that had our logo on the back. And, <laughs> and actually, that's something that I've since borrowed. And I do that anytime I appear anywhere for Westside Food Bank. I make sure that I have Westside Food Bank's uh, logo on the back. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Jimmy Fallon with the yes. Tonight Show. He's got those cards. Yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, we copied that idea. Awesome. Um, and it was a lot of fun, although sometimes, you know, people wouldn't show up or <laughs> <laughs> what did you do when that happened uh you know did you I, vamp for an hour <laughs> uh well you know thankfully because we did two shows at once usually the if the first folks were late we would just switch the order and do the second 
group first. Mm-hmm. Um, so it always worked out. But I did learn very quickly to pre-interview people. Oh, right. Because every once in a while, you know, someone would come on and either they would freeze when yes. they got on camera or, you know, they just didn't have all that much to say. Right. Um, so I, I kind of learned to coach my uh, guests to to really bring people that would be animated and have things to say. And, and of course, I did my research so that if, if everybody forgot everything, I could ask them questions based on, you know, what I learned from their website yes. or, you know, I could help to lead the conversation. But it was a lot of fun. And it's wonderful that they still air. I mean, yeah. we did our best to make them, you know, relevant uh, even a a little after some time has passed. Yeah, absolutely. And so do you think that this is going to lead into a network for Westside Food Bank? Well, you, you could be uh, you'd be the new, the new Oprah Genevieve Reitord. <laughs> well, one thing that we have done, um, we we did this last year as an experiment. Well, I guess this year in the summer, uh, Westside Food Bank held its first storytelling event. Oh, and so we invited a few um, clients from our member agencies and people who have had experiences with hunger and food and security and just circumstances in life that, that, you know, made things a little difficult for them, uh, including myself. I did tell a story um, about a challenging time in my life, and it was a huge success. It's actually available on our Facebook page as a video, so anyone can go to uh, our Facebook page, just look for Westside Food Bank, and um, we have a video of that storytelling event, and, and I think we're going to do it as an annual event. It was so much fun. And what was the stories about? Uh, so what, they what were the stories about. <laughs> well, what I, was I, the story? <laughs> it's well, early in the morning. We can count them all in in the limited time we have. But there was a story about uh, one woman who had had a wonderful career in Hollywood and had worked as a personal assistant, um, and then she got into a car accident. And it was a terrifying car accident. I mean, she was on, like, PCH, and and her car fell off the road and, like, flipped over three times. And because of that, she became disabled and wasn't able to work. And that led into her becoming homeless and not having enough food to eat and not being able to get the medical care she needed. And, you know, then she was able to get help through one of our member agencies um, connected with medical care was able to go through a process that got her, you know, her kind of disability payments and was able to get housed. And now she is a really amazing spokesperson and travels around the country telling her story and encouraging people to support social service agencies. So that was one really inspiring story. Um, And then we had another story of a a young woman who had... um, experienced uh, a mental illness and she had a psychotic episode where she thought that she was being filmed like the Truman Show. Like she thought mm-hmm. that all, the whole reality was a, a, a TV show about her life. Wow. <laughs> and she, her family, even though she had actually come from a very wealthy family, um, her family 
dynamic was dysfunctional and they did not care for her and she was out on her own and she became homeless and because a friend of hers rescued her and brought her to social service agencies where she got mental health care and was able to, um, you know, get on disability and access Section 8 housing. Um, now she is working successfully as a teacher and is managing her mental illness and, you know, she's got food assistance and so it's very inspiring and and also recognizing that people who need help come from all walks of life Mm -hmm. and you know she started her story by saying you know you would look at me and never think that I had been homeless yeah Yeah. and the fact that someone could come from a wealthy family and still end up on the street it's a little and she's a beautiful young girl so it was shocking Mm-hmm. And and then I recounted my own experience of having grown up with a single mom in the Bronx in New York City. And, you know, we struggled and we were on food stamps. I, I remember, you know, having to go to the store with my mom. And in those days, food stamps were actually, you know, paper coupons that came in a booklet. And uh, and to me, they just looked like colorful money. Right. Um, and my mom did such a great job of of never complaining or, or, you know, showing how difficult it was for her. But I remember one day, you know, she would always tear the coupons out when we were at the checkout. And, you know, it took a little time and she was being really careful because she didn't want to rip it. And I asked her one day, well, why don't you just tear them out ahead of time so we don't hold up the line? And she said, well, it's against the rules. You have to do it you know, right at that moment. And and I didn't think anything about it. But of course, later in life, I realized that, you know, it was just one of those kind of small indignities mm-hmm. that that people who were poor had to endure, you know, just because there might be one person in a thousand that might commit fraud. Mm. And, you know, she just covered it up so well. And And so I talked about that. And I talked about what it was like in my own life when I went through a transition, I was a mom with, you know, two young children and another one on the way and suddenly found myself unexpectedly in the midst of a divorce. And I was just terrified and I didn't know how I was going to feed my kids. And I had been a stay-at-home mom, so I wasn't in the workforce at that time. And the social service safety net was there for me and really helped me to get through that transition. And and so it really makes my work at the food bank so much more meaningful because I know what that feeling is to be terrified about how you're going to feed your kids. And, yeah. and then I know the other side of it. I know that incredible relief of knowing that it's going to be okay. Right. <laughs> There's, there are people out there who care and who want to help, and you're going to get through this with that help. And you know, that's that's a wonderful thing, and I'm so happy that I get to be part of that safety net to help others yeah, in the and, way that I was helped. And now your kids, your, one of your daughters are going to college, one just graduated, correct? And Yeah, yeah, and my son's about to start a job with the LAUSD in outdoor education. So, um, you know, they've, they've grown up at the food bank. I mean, yeah. all of my kids, since they were little, have been at our annual hunger walk that happens in October every year, um, which is just so much fun. It's a 5K walkathon on the beach, and it's free, and people, you know, learn about the food bank, and, you know, we're just this 
incredible force of like 500 people walking down the beach path in Santa Monica. It's, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, they grew up doing that and they grew up understanding how important it is to help others. So Genevieve, have have you talked to your kids about their time growing up or have you seen them, you know, grow through that experience of needing the help so you guys can get ahead? Yeah, I think my kids have a real appreciation. I mean, you know, it was hard for them to be in a, a single mom household. Um, I, I honestly relied so much on the kindness of others. I mean, there were so many stay-at-home moms who picked my kids up from school, brought them to play, practice, and after-school activities. It really does take a village. And, you know, my kids were, I'm from New York, so I'm, I'm not afraid of public transportation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. And I wasn't afraid to let my kids take public transportation. So, you know, I, starting at, at least age 12 or so, my kids were taking the bus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they understood that that was just what we had to do to to make life happen. And, you know, my, my daughter wanted to go to ballet class, and I said, well, you know, there's a bus that runs down Ventura Boulevard, and it's only four stops. And so she would do it. And eventually she brought her bike on the bus, which, I mean, I still... Every time I do that, I feel like I do it wrong. Um, <laughs> but now they have the racks on the front. So. Yeah, they have the racks on the front. And and so, you know, they really understood that, that, you know, and even with the difficulty that we had, we still, you know, always had food and we had a place to live. And they really understood that not everyone has that and mm. that it, it can be very challenging. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, Genevieve, uh, when you were talking about, you know, the needs of the, you know, people that may be down on their luck, a lot of people over the, I mean, I can't even say the years, but every day end up on the street at no fault of their own. You know, they could, and I've told a story before on the show is how you could be married, two children, a house, two cars, and something happens at the job where maybe the the owner embezzled money and then you're out on the street the next day underneath a bridge in Santa Monica. Yeah, well, and the sad truth is that most people are are one you know one paycheck. unexpected event yes. one paycheck away from disaster i mean it happened to me i i was that person i you know we, we owned a home we had several cars i never imagined i would be homeless and mm-hmm. you know all of a sudden this you know the relationship fell apart and we were getting a divorce and I didn't have a place to stay and thankfully I had a friend that took me in but I certainly didn't have my own place and I had young children um, you know and the truth is in Los Angeles right now we have one of the toughest housing markets in the country yes, we do. and so many people are spending up to 70% of their income just to stay in housing. And that is really driving this poverty crisis because it's, there's no affordable housing. And so one of the things that we really feel is our mission at the food bank is to provide food 
on a consistent basis for people that are living on that edge, Mm -hmm. because if they don't have to pay for food, they can use the money that they do have to stay housed. Because once someone loses housing, it really snowballs. Mm -hmm. Because first of all, the housing that they were in, it becomes more expensive for the next family, Mm -hmm. um, who's probably also struggling. And then the next apartment or, or home that that family gets is going to be more expensive. Um, and it just makes everything else so much more difficult. And so we really feel like we want to keep people in the housing that they're in because once they lose housing, everything becomes so much more difficult. And, and actually food is a big part of that. When I first started at the food bank, you know, now almost 15 years ago, people who were visiting our member food pantries typically needed help occasionally. It was because something happened, either, you know, somebody lost a job or there was a medical thing or the car needed unexpected repairs. And so they were visiting food pantries because of an emergency. But ever since the recession, most people who are visiting food pantries, they look at that as a regular part of how they get their food. It's not just once in a while. It's we count on the food pantry for our weekly food or our monthly food. And so that's a big change. Right. And it places a big responsibility on us to make sure that the food that we are providing is, you know, a a balanced variety of nutritious food because, you know, half of our food is going to kids, you know, from families that are living on the edge. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure that that these kids and and their parents too and, and the seniors and the you know, all the people that are getting our food get the full range of nutrition because, you know, people who are living in poverty or near poverty are at the highest risk for things like obesity, diabetes, Mm -hmm. hypertension, high blood pressure. And a lot of those things can be exacerbated if you don't have a good diet. Yes. And And we we talk about that uh, again, a lot on the shows as well. And you have kids that are really that are obese here in Southern California in the school system. How do you go about making sure that the food at Westside Food Bank is nutritious food? Well, we we really take this seriously. And a few years ago, we got a grant to help us develop um, an official nutrition policy. And so we worked with our member food pantries. We hired a nutritionist. Actually, she was a volunteer. (laughs) Um, But we spent a lot of our staff time developing a nutrition policy. And and so we limit the amount of uh, sugary foods that we distribute. We limit the amount of salty uh, snacks that are in our distribution. And that's not just for the foods that we buy, because we do buy about half of the food that we distribute on the wholesale market, but it also applies to food that's donated. So if there were, for example, you know, I don't know, a soda company that said, you know, we've got a full truckload of, of soda, you know, sugary soda, we would refuse that donation mm-hmm. because that would be too much um, sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, we limit ourselves to no more than 4% of our distribution being sugary foods or salty foods. And we now have placed a huge emphasis on fresh produce. 
So more than half of the food that comes out of Westside Food Bank's warehouse is actually fresh fruits and vegetables. And as part of our nutrition policy, we guarantee at all times to our member agencies that when they come to the food bank to pick up food, there will always be at least two to three types of vegetables, at least two to three types of fruits. We always have rice, beans, potatoes, um, bananas, <laughs> oats, the basic staples. And we always have high-protein foods. So that means eggs. Uh, it means peanut butter. It means canned chicken and tuna. And um, and now we've actually been able to get uh, frozen chicken as part of a, a statewide program that gets food from farms to food banks throughout the state. Oh, wow. And that's been a huge help. We get over a million pounds a year of fresh produce that's donated from farms by working cooperatively with other food banks to share truckloads because a whole truckload is too much of any one product for any one food bank. But if the truck comes from the Central Valley and makes a stop in Ventura and then a stop at our food bank and then goes down to San Diego and Orange County, we can make that work. Wow. So working cooperatively both with food banks around the state and with our member agencies is really what makes this whole system work. How And how does that happen? I mean, because to me, it, it seems a bit overwhelming. How do you guys collaborate to where you're able to get it down to such a, a, a way that, you know, it works for our community? I mean, it's pretty amazing. I have to give a lot of credit to uh, my colleague, Yvonne Lung, who's our director of operations. What's up, Yvonne? What's up, Yvonne? (laughs) I mean, she's amazing. This woman has written software programs from scratch to help us, you know, make our food drives more efficient. And, uh, you know, she's kind of our our jack-of-all-trades at the food bank. Um, And she really helped the California Association of Food Banks design this program um, because she's the person that buys our food. She's the person that, that knows exactly how much is coming in and out. And, and, and she helped to devise the system where food banks could share a truckload. And, you know, she's like, well, look, I know that we can take four pallets of apples and the food bank down in San Diego, you know, I've talked to them. They, they're a little bit bigger. They can take eight pallets. And the next thing you know, a couple more food banks and you've got a whole truckload. Mm. Um, so it really, it takes a lot of, of effort but the dedication of our staff. I mean, the, the staff at Westside Food Bank, this is going to shock you. Collectively, we have over 150 years of service to the food bank. Mm. And that's because none of us ever leave. We just love it. <laughs> <laughs> our executive director has been there for over 30 years. Our warehouse manager uh, was actually honored last year by the West Side Coalition, which is a coalition of over 30 agencies on the West Side, for being the staff person with the longest tenure of service at any agency on the West Side. Amazing. He's been there for 36 years since the food bank was founded. Wow. That um, takes dedication. And, you know, if, when you're committed and you have a, a passion about what you do, you know, it, it may sound cliche, but it's just like you just go to work, you do what you do, and you're helping your community, and it doesn't seem like a job. It, it really doesn't. And I mean, you know, Milton, that's our warehouse manager. Milton What's Gonzalez, up, Milton? He goes above <laughs> and beyond. I mean, this man shows up every day at like 6 o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. I mean, when agencies come to him and say, we have a problem, there's... 
you know, there's a whole donation that we could get, but it's all the way out in, you know, Brea, and we don't have a truck. The next thing you know, Milton's going on his own time and picking that up. And He's a way maker. He's a way maker. I mean, he, we've called him in from vacation because, you know, something happened unexpectedly. He's a wizard with the, the forklift. I mean, the man, the Tetris-style uh, arrangement in our warehouse that, that he sometimes has to do because our space is so limited is amazing. And, you know, it, it's, it's a real testament. And, you know, our other uh, warehouse assistant manager has been with us uh, going on 30 years as well. Um, I've been there 15 years. Uh, our program director is like 20 years. I mean, we, we like to stick around at the food So, bacon. Genevieve, do you guys talk about, like, when when people come into the press and tell them that we don't need these type of services, they're no longer going to be funded, you know, pick your own self up by your bootstraps. Have you guys talked about that? And if so, like, how do you combat that? Well, it can be really challenging. Um, But I think one thing that everybody does understand is that food is a basic need. And especially for the children that receive our food, you know, they can't wait for a better economy. (laughs) They can't wait for more affordable housing to be built. They need good nutrition now. Mm -hmm. And that's something that that I think on both sides of the aisle, people really understand. I mean, the the lucky thing is that food is thankfully not a partisan issue because we all understand that everyone needs to eat. And I think, you know, people understand that that Los Angeles is a difficult market. Um, On the other hand, I've had conversations even sometimes with, like, Uber drivers who say, well, you know, what West Side Food Bank, who needs food on the West Side, and why don't they just move? Mm. And, you know, and I'll say, you know, well, some people do. That that is what some people do in order to, to... afford their housing, they may have to move out to the Inland Empire or to areas where housing is more affordable. But think about what it would be like if you grew up in a community. If you, you know, if your parents were married at this church and you were baptized in it and you were raised in that church. And think about what it would be like if if your parents still own a home in that area because Mm -hmm. they bought years ago and they're aging and you want to be near them so that you can take care of them. And, you know, what, what would it be like if, you know, you went to a particular school and grew up in that school and you want your kids to go to that school mm-hmm. and, and you have a community of people that live in this area? Uh, you know, to move away from that is isolating. And, you know, just because the place that you grew up, you know, became a lot more expensive to live uh, doesn't mean that you don't still deserve to be there. And especially when it's your community, it's the community that you built. It's the community that that you've lived in, that your family has lived in. Wow. And then I think, you know, that that does kind of light a light bulb for some folks going like, oh, yeah, I guess it would be hard if this was, (laughs) you know, the church my parents and grandparents, you know, were were both married in and I was married in. And, uh, you know, you have roots in a community. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and. LA is, is very tough. I mean, it's not just the West Side. And, and really for us, the West Side is, you know, we're a whole tenth of LA County. So our service area is La Brea to the ocean. It includes um, most of Inglewood and Westchester, places where there is a lot of poverty mm-hmm. and where people really are struggling. 
and um, you know there's there's a lot of, of folks who are um, elderly who live on fixed incomes and maybe they're in rent controlled housing but they're still not their income is not enough to meet all of their needs whether it's you know medicines and and medical care and food and making sure that that food is good and healthy food because what happens for a lot of folks who are struggling is, you know, they'll go to the grocery store and they'll say, oh, well, you know, gala apples, yummy, but it's, you know, $2 a pound. Right. <laughs> but, you know, this little package of uh, top ramen is, you know, 32 cents. So what are you going to eat? <laughs> right. Uh, so we try to really fill in that gap by making sure that we can provide the kinds of foods that are most difficult for people to get because of cost or because of access. Yes, yes. Uh, so you guys do a lot, Genevieve, at the Westside Food Bank, and you just came off your 28th annual 5K Hunger Walk. Tell us about that and uh, what transpired. Well, it was so much fun. I mean, the Hunger Walk has been, as you say, 28 years. It's a tradition on the West Side. And what we love about it is that it brings together our whole community in a really fun way. I mean, we don't do the the gala dinner thing, which, you know, to be quite honest, so many people are sick of the rubber chicken, the auctions, you know, having to dress up and go out. Our event is family-friendly. So we get, you know, everyone from little babies in strollers being pushed by their moms and dads on the walk to, um, you know, people in their 80s and 90s who feel like, well, I I can't do much, but I can walk, Mm -hmm. and everyone in between. We have a family fun zone where we provide activities, you know, and and games for for kids. We do, um, you know henna and, you know, temporary tattoos and hula hoops and, you know, ladder golf and giant Jenga. Um, And it's a lot of fun. Um, And we have entertainment. We have a wonderful young woman named Trinity Rose who has been um, a performer for us for the past couple of years. And then after we have all that fun and give out a few awards for people who have done the most fundraising or brought the biggest team or, you know, for schools that brought a lot of kids. Everybody goes out and does a 5K walk along the walking path in Santa Monica. We kind of take over. <laughs> uh, although very politely, we stagger. So it's it's a long line of people, everyone wearing the same T-shirt, uh, talking about the food bank. And they go up a little past the pier and come on back. We have a gift bag for everyone at the end. And then some people decide to stay and join us for the Beach Bash after party at Perry's Cafe. And Perry's has been so wonderful to us. They they host the, the event. They don't charge us anything for their staff time. They loan us all of their uh, bicycles and games. And it's just, it's a really fun time. And the food is always delicious. Genevieve, how has the Hunger Walk changed since, I think I talked to, well, I can't remember well, how has it changed? Well, I've been doing it for 15 years. Yeah. This is my 15th hunger <laughs> oh, walk. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so probably. Oh, then. my goodness. Uh, well, we didn't used to do the after party. Uh, but since we don't do the gala dinner, uh, we, we thought it was a nice way for people after they've done the walk and are feeling great, you know, to kind of sit out and, and watch as the sun goes down on the beach um, and enjoy some food and, and really have a chance to kind of chat and connect with each other. And, and the great thing about the Hunger Walk, because it's a free event, 
it's kind of equal opportunity. So you might be sitting next to a $25,000 donor or someone who uh, visits one of our food pantries. Mm-hmm. And everybody is treated the same. Everyone gets the same T-shirt and goodie bag. And, and um, you know, we try to make it easy. We want people to bring their kids. You know, if you've got three kids and it's $35 admission each, that, that becomes a tough day. Right. Um, so for us, we find if we just make it open to everyone, those who are able to fundraise do and they do a great job, <laughs> and and those who are not able to, but but they participate and help raise awareness, that's welcome too. Now you guys do a lot more, and now that the holiday season is coming upon us, tell us what are your needs. Um, well, you know the holiday season is obviously a very busy time for any nonprofit, but for a food bank in particular, it's really challenging because we not only want to make sure that we get out the really nutritious food that we distribute all year long, but we want to make sure that families that are struggling also get to have the same kind of special holiday meal that the rest of us enjoy. And so we, we do turkey drives, so people bring us their frozen turkeys, <laughs> Um, and that's really exciting. We get schools, we get businesses that participate in, in frozen turkey drives, and, you know, we get over 500 frozen turkeys each year, probably more close to 1,000 at this point. Oh, great. Um, and then, you know, not everyone wants to lug around a, a you know, 20-pound frozen turkey, and we understand that, so we also make it <laughs> <Right>. easy <laughs> by doing a virtual turkey drive, and that's on our website, which is wsfb.org. You can go on there and, and shop for things like a turkey and mashed potatoes and green beans and all the other fixins, um, and and just purchase that quote-unquote purchase that with your donation online. And then we take that money in and buy on the wholesale market to make sure that we can provide those special holiday meals for families. Um, So that's something that we really encourage. Um, We have a lot of food drives that happen over the holidays. I'd say over 400 food drives happen for the food bank every year. And probably more than half of them happen between September and December. <laughs> so, so it's a busy time. We have volunteers in our warehouse. Um, most of that volunteer activity is actually booked weeks in advance. So, and I think that's true for a lot of nonprofits. So if your listeners are interested in, in serving holiday meals and that right. kind of thing, don't wait till the day before Thanksgiving. I know, yeah. <laughs> that, like several years ago, my friend was like, oh, uh, she signed up like months in advance and then we're talking at a party like a week before Thanksgiving and people are like oh yeah I think I'm going to go volunteer and it's like you no you no. can't it's it's booked <laughs> it's booked please yeah, sign well, up they need to make sure people are really going to be there and in some cases there's a little training that has to happen so you know if you want to volunteer sign up early and um, how do they do, do that have a volunteer opportunity oh good um it's available on our website and on Facebook, but we have an event coming up that uh, actually a, a spin public relations puts it on for us, but we benefit from the proceeds. And over the years, it's raised you know well over $100,000, and that's the 10th annual Santa Monica Pub Crawl. Oh. And that's happening um, this year on December 8th. Um, on a Saturday, and we need some volunteers, 21 and over, (laughs) who can help us to check folks in and just make sure that the event runs smoothly. 
and so people can sign up on our website. Our website is also where people can sign up if they want to hold a food drive. And again, we ask for about a week's notice in advance because we want to put you in the schedule so we can drop off uh, food barrels or boxes and make arrangements for when we'll pick them up. Um, so really, the message here is plan ahead. <laughs> plan ahead for volunteering. <laughs> plan ahead for food drives. Um, you know, our turkey drive is online. We also just have regular old, just make a donation. You don't have to shop. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you make so it easy. We make it easy. We give you lots of ways. Um, people can also come to our warehouse if they have frozen turkeys or hams or other foods that they want to drop off. We're open from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day. We're in Santa Monica, just off Cloverfield in the 10, and our address is, is on our website, wsfb.org. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about the Santa Monica Pub Crawl because it is such a fun event, and I can't believe that it's been 10 years. This is the 10th anniversary now. Uh-oh. Of, of something that was just conceived as like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to invite people to dress up in, you know, Santa outfits and, and go visit all the bars and restaurants they were probably going to go to anyway, but, you know, spend a little more money to support the food bank. And so what happens on that night is over 5,000 5, to 6,000 people in downtown Santa Monica go out dressed up in their holiday finest. And by holiday finest, I mean people go all out. You oh, yeah. see Santas, <laughs> you see Rudolphs, you see uh, the Grinch. Oh, uh, you know people. Re- I've I've seen Mary Lou Who, <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> which awesome. was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, sometimes people go in groups and then they have team costumes. I've seen uh, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and the three <laughs> wise men. <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> I've seen uh, people go as Christmas trees. Uh, including lights that actually light up. Uh, so if nothing else, it's a great people-watching yes. uh, event. Um, but what happens is people go to SantaMonicaPubCrawl.com and they purchase their wristband online, and that entitles them to food and drink specials at uh, over 30 of the greatest restaurants and bars in Santa Monica. And they pick a route, so either you know Third Street Promenade or Main Street or Wilshire Boulevard um, or the pier, and they go from place to place, you know, usually one place an hour about with all these other people and uh, enjoy some libations and some food. And, um, and the proceeds go to the Westside Food Bank. And it's just a whole lot of fun. And, you know, I mean, we've had people that have gotten engaged at the pub crawl. <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> um, you know, people who, who make it a tradition year after year. Uh, I think even our executive director and his wife discovered their favorite uh, place to watch um, the the East Coast sports games <laughs> <laughs> by participating in the crawl. Oh, cool. So, so we have opportunities for volunteers. We we definitely need volunteers, people who are willing to be with us from about four thirty to about ten o'clock at night um, to help check people in and keep things moving smoothly. And for those who just want to participate, that's a great way to help, too. And it's a lot of fun. And, you know, you'll see some of the best costumes you're going to see all year. Uh, One of my board members, who shall remain unnamed, uh, came in um, what was essentially like a a giant onesie. (laughs) That's funny. And that was very adorable. So all kinds of cool costumes. Yeah. it's a fun night, and it really helps to benefit the West Side. And how Bank. can they sign up for the pub crawl again? Uh, 
they can go to our website, wsfb.org, and there's a link there, or they can go to santamonicapubcrawl.com. Excellent. Now, one of the needs uh, that has is new for Westside Food Bank is among college students. Can you talk about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, this this really came as a surprise to us. Um, and and we really jumped on it and acted as quickly as we could. But the fact of the matter is, especially, it, it's nationwide, but especially here in Los Angeles, college students are among the most food insecure populations. And here in Los Angeles, we're finding, you know, they did a study among all the community colleges, and two-thirds of community college students in Los Angeles County are food insecure. Right. And one in five is homeless. So it's a huge problem. Even at the UCs, you know, 25 to 30% of students at UCs, that includes UCLA, are food insecure. Wow. And so we, you know, we, these are our future leaders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they need to be able to, to think and study and, and progress and help us solve some of these, you know, societal issues. So we want to take care of them. And um, so what we're doing is we have helped to start food pantries at several of the colleges that are in Western L.A. County. We've been working with UCLA since 2009. They have a food closet um, and it literally is a closet. <laughs> they restock it, you know, every so often. Um, but for students, so students can go and pick up some food. And I've had students at UCLA tell me, you know, at the end of the day, I've got, you know, a buck fifty. I can either walk 30 blocks home and eat a taco right. or I can ride the bus. Yeah. So it's really, it, it's that urgent. And so a couple years ago, we helped found um, a pantry at Santa Monica College. They're now distributing at five different locations on the campus for any student that is in need. They also do a weekly farmer's market for students where all that fresh produce and that we uh, are able to provide is distributed and students just, you know, they, they come, they line up, they get a bag of, of fresh produce. Wow, that's awesome. Um, so that's great. Mount St. Mary's College, um, even though it's a private university, more than 70% of their students are, you know, receiving significant scholarships mm-hmm. and they need help. And so they also do a farmer's market style distribution. Um, and then we're also providing food to West LA College for the students that are there um, through a food pantry program. And that has been so popular and it has really grown as students have learned about it. And, you know, for a lot of these students, they say that these are the only fresh fruits and vegetables that I have access to mm. <laughs> because I just can't afford to, to buy them. Yeah. So, you know, so we're, you know, there might be some ramen in their diets, but we're trying to make sure that there's also broccoli and, and you know, potatoes and uh, apples and oranges and all the other things that we're able to provide. Tell us uh, what you do with the West L.A. Veterans Administration and and uh, how you help them get lunches. Yeah, well, you know, there are there's great need among the veteran population, and that West LA uh, Veterans Campus it's the biggest piece of land um, in our service area, and now thankfully they are really working to make plans to house some of the more than four thousand veterans that are homeless in Los Angeles at that facility. 
Um, but in the meantime, um, there are several uh, agencies that, that do have shelters for veterans there, and we provide food to those. We also do um, a, a direct service. This is one of the few ways that Westside Food Bank is actually serving directly to people, and that's once a week we drive our truck out to that West LAVA campus uh, every Thursday from noon until 2 p.m. Any veteran can show up. It's right across the street from the hospital on the campus, and they can get a free bag of produce and other staples. So we're providing for about currently about 200 veterans a week at that location, but we also do lunches. So we're providing a healthy bagged lunch for um, some of the programs that happen at that West LA VA and then at a couple of other VA sites um, in LA County. Um, so we're really providing a lot of food for veterans and we feel like it's so important. I mean, these, these are people that have served our country and it's just terrible that so many of them are struggling with hunger and food insecurity and homelessness and anything that we can do to, mm -hmm. to help is great. And, you know, my coworker, Allison, who's also amazing. Shout out, Allison. <laughs> um, she's What's the one who does that, that distribution. And um, she tells us stories about some of these vets. I mean, you know, they, when they were in the service, many of them had duties cooking. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of them are really great cooks and they say, oh, eggplant, this is great. I'm going to make baba ganoush. Or, <laughs> so, uh, you know, a lot of the, the vets that we serve, are, they're so appreciative mm -hmm. and um, and they're creative and they, they really want this kind of healthy food. They don't just want to, you know, have packaged foods. Yes. Yeah. And, and we find that across the board. I mean, from the families that visit our pantries to the, the seniors that, that have uh, specific meal distributions for them, everybody says this food is so healthy and we are so grateful for that. And that just makes me feel great because, you know, nobody wants, I, I want a food, feed people the same kind of food I'd feed my own family. Right. You know, I, I want people who are, are suffering, you know, in other ways to at least have wonderful, healthy food. Now, Genevieve, uh, you talked about how the Westside Food Banks uh, get food to our community through farm to family, through different um, programs. Talk about the National Letter Carriers Association and what that does. And so that's, that's actually a lot of fun. It's a nationwide effort. So it happens every spring right around Mother's Day. It's usually the Saturday before Mother's Day. And all across the country, um, the letter carriers, you know, the, the postal workers who bring us our mail every day, um, they volunteer to pick up food and deliver it to food banks. Um, it's completely voluntary. This is not something that's required. So they are donating their, their time and energy. And they usually will send out a little postcard that week saying, you know, please put some food out by your mailbox. And, uh, and so people, we, we really encourage people to put out like a, a whole bag of food <laughs> rather than just like one or two cans. Um, and the postal workers will pick that up and, um, and then on that day, every year, we get about 100 to 150 volunteers in our warehouse. Um, some of them help us go out on trucks and pick food up from the postal uh, offices. Mm -hmm. um, and then all that food, uh, it's about 100,000 pounds in one day. 
one afternoon comes into our warehouse. And so all those volunteers are like busy bees and they're unloading trucks and they're putting things in boxes and they're stashing them away so that we have room for all that food. Um, and it's, it's really great. It, we get a lot of food that day. It helps because by that point in the year, you know, in the spring, we're kind of running out of all the food that came in over the holidays. Right. And so that food drive really helps to uh, make sure that we have great food all the way through until the, the holidays come around. And again. Genevieve, individual donors are also a huge benefit for the Westside Food Bank. Tell us how. Well, that's our biggest source of support. The Westside Food Bank does not get a significant amount of government funding. Um, in fact, we try to avoid it just because it's the, the hardest to get and the most fickle and they make you jump through all kinds of hoops. Um, so we really count on individuals in the community. We have over 3,000 folks who donate money to us, and it's everything from $5 to, you know, $50,000 or more. <laughs> we love more. <laughs> um, but people give what they can. And, you know, even a $5 donation, that, that feeds 20 people. And that's why a food bank exists is because we can be that efficient. We can really take your dollar and stretch it way further than you can. So more than you can at the 99 cent store or even at the, you know, with dollar meals. Um, you know, we, we are operating on a wholesale level. And individual donors are our biggest source of support. And we so appreciate the community supporting us. It, it makes the difference because we have to buy about half of our food. We don't live in a farm land. Mm-hmm. You know, the farm to family program is great and it, it does bring some of the, the food from farms across California to us. But whatever we can't get in that program, we were committed to that nutritional balance. So we have to purchase it. Mm. And the dollars that the community donates enable us to do that and enable us to make sure that we are distributing that wide variety of healthy foods. Now, tell me if this is correct. I I believe in a previous interview with you, Genevieve, you said that people who are in need, like low-income families, unemployed, seniors, veterans, homeless individuals, they do not specifically come to the Westside Food Bank, but you distribute to those individuals and provide Through our member agencies. Okay. Yeah. So typically, you know, for the past 30 years, the Westside Food Bank has been the warehouse operation. So, you know, if someone needs food, they don't come knocking on our door. Um, because we're operating on that wholesale level. So we have about 70 different member agencies that we provide food to, and then they are the ones that directly serve the public. Um, Recently, we've actually went through a strategic planning process, and we have opened up the possibility for us to start doing some direct service because we recognize that there is a need and we're a strong organization and if there are ways that we can serve, we will. Um, so, for example, the, the program that we do at the Veterans Administration, that's us directly serving those veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a change and, and we did change our mission statement so that it included the opportunity for us to do some direct service um, because we know that in the coming years, that might be something we're called on to do. You know, 90% of our food goes out through food pantries. And food pantries uh, are where an individual or family 
can go to get free groceries. So most of our food, 90% of our food is going to people that, that are housed, but they just don't make enough money to meet all of their needs. So they're getting their food at a food pantry. Now, of those food pantries, most of them are run entirely by volunteers. Mm. So they have no paid staff. And in most cases, those volunteers are, you know, on the upside of 80 years old. Wow. So we are looking at a a food system for distribution that's run by an aging volunteer network that has no succession plan. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's nobody left to fill those roles. I mean... A lot of those volunteers started working 30 years ago right. when, you know, it, it was feasible to have a one-income household right. and, and people could really volunteer a big chunk of their time. But today's workforce is not able to, to operate on that level. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, even people who have very good jobs and, and you know, two-income households, if they're raising a family both of those people have to work. <laughs> yes. And they don't have time to, to have a full-time volunteer gig. And so we're really concerned about what's going to happen when some of these volunteers are no longer able to work, and we're really making plans to be prepared to step in if need be and do right. some of that direct service work ourselves. Well, Genevieve, how, how can the community get involved? How can we help? Well, one of the greatest things that we need are um, ambassadors. We we need people to help spread the word about what we're doing because, you know, we're so busy. We have only a staff of eight that's distributing this almost five million pounds of food a year. So we're stretched pretty thin, and we can use a lot of help. We want people to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter. We're at WSide Food Bank. You can find us on Facebook. We're actually very Googleable, so if you, if you Google <laughs> us, you will find us. Um, and of course, all of those links are on our website, which is wsfb.org. Um, so we want to engage with you. Get with us on social media. Tell us your story. Tell us how you'd like to help. You know, share, retweet. Uh, one thing we're looking for is people to follow us on YouTube. We have. You know, a few videos up there. We'd like to do more, but we need about a thousand uh, subscribers to our YouTube channel. So find us on YouTube, Westside Food Bank. We're also on Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, People can hold food drives. I mean, I've had Mm -hmm. people, you know, instead of having, you know, people bring gifts for their birthday, they say bring food for the food bank, um, which is a great thing. Um, you know, we, we need volunteers at our pub crawl. We need volunteers in our warehouse. I would say starting in January, all that food that came in over the holidays, we're going to need people to help sort it. So you can, um, you know, you can email us, let us know that you'd like to volunteer. Um, we need sometimes specialized help. So if you're uh, all the video editors out there, that's something we really need. Yes. <laughs> um, but if you if you have a specialized skill, um, get in touch with us because, you know, we might need that and we'd love to work with you. Um, and, you know, we're willing to come out and speak too. So if you have a club or if you're uh, at school or you have a business and you would like someone from the food bank to come out and talk about what we do and maybe inspire them to hold a food drive or have a, a, a campaign. We also love virtual food drives. We'll, we'll put up a page special for your company or your group and you can fundraise online and that, that helps us out a lot. Um, but essentially, visit our website, 
go to our social media, stay in touch with us and find out what we're doing and get involved because we welcome you. And there are specialty items that you also look for. We do. Uh, again, my coworker Allison, um, she's not content with just providing food. We have um, diaper drives, so you know people who are struggling to buy their food also are struggling to provide things like diapers, like uh, feminine products, toiletries, um, and a great need is for socks. Socks are one of the most in-demand items for homeless individuals. Um, you know, because they're out on the street, they're walking around, they they go through those socks really quickly, um, and they don't always have a way to wash them. So right. we are trying to continually provide socks and um, blankets, sleeping bags, um, emergency kits. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're working um, very hard right now on disaster preparedness and recognizing that, you know, Probably, you know, no, no shame, no blame, but right. you and I probably are not quite fully prepared in case of an earthquake. I know. Um, and I got to replenish who, my bag. Exactly, me too. <laughs> and people who are living on the edge uh, are really unprepared. So things like earthquake kits, um, you know, portable can openers, um, all of those things that you really don't think about until all of a sudden you really need them, um, those are also kind of... Uh, pet projects that we do in addition to our food distribution. Wow, that that's a lot. And wow. Uh, Genevieve, I know we talked about uh, what you did at the beginning with uh, Santa Monica TV and how you spread the word for uh, West, West Side Food Bank. Can I know you have a special story that you were just asked to tell here in uh, Southern California. Yes. So uh, yes. <laughs> I've, I've kind of gotten into storytelling. Okay, as, as there many, we go. Many folks have. Um, there's lots of. There's a great storytelling scene here in Los Angeles. Lots of great shows where people get up and tell real life stories. And I had a wonderful experience. Um, well, I'm originally from New York, and I'm actually I'm Puerto Rican, and I'm from the Bronx. And you can imagine how excited I was. I'm also a big, you know, politics nerd. When um, Sonia Sotomayor became a Supreme Court justice, I mean, it was just so exciting. It was like Bronx Pride. And and uh, one day I was driving home from work, and I heard them announce on the local NPR station that she was going to be appearing. Um, for a, a, an in-person talk, and you could get free tickets. And I just, like, screeched across four lanes of traffic, <laughs> pulled over. This was six years ago. I was still kind of new to the iPhone, but I, I whipped it out and somehow got on the website and, and ordered my two tickets and got them. And I was so excited. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to see Sonia Sotomayor, and she's Supreme Court Justice, and this is amazing, and I'm going to bring my son, and he's really into politics, and he was 14 at the time. And um, and then I tried to get another of tickets and two minutes later they were sold out oh so i was like oh my god i'm so lucky this is meant to be so the day comes and we we go to the radio station and and actually before that because of security reasons um uh, a woman from the radio station had emailed me and said oh we need to know that the name and birth date of you and your guest and so i said oh it's me and my son and he's 14 and you know i'm from the bronx and i'm puerto rican and i'm so excited and, and so we had this really lovely email exchange 
And so then I get to the radio station, and it's a madhouse. Oh, I mean, okay. it's packed. There are so many people. And everyone's kind of grumpy because it turns out that, that a lot of the, um, the tickets are for standing room only. Um, you know, because it was such a special event. They had school groups. They had, you know, politics people and VIPs. And people were kind of grumpy that, that they weren't going to get seats. And, and so I kind of walked up and said hello. And, oh, are you Jennifer? Yes, I'm Jennifer. And, and, um, and I was just nice to her when everyone else was kind of giving her a hard time. And, and when they opened the doors and people were sort of rushing in to, to try to grab the one or two potentially available seats, she came over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, come here. Aww. And walked me and my son up to the very front where there were seats that were reserved. And as she pulled the papers off the seats that said reserved, it said reserved for Justice Sotomayor's family. (laughs) And I thought, well, you know, I've got cousins that knew her cousins. We're both Puerto Rican. We're both from the Bronx. I guess I'm family. (laughs) (laughs) And we had great seats and it was a wonderful talk. Uh, Pat Morrison was interviewing her. It was just a thrill. Afterwards, she came out into the audience, and there I am with my arm around her getting our photo taken. And then they said that she was going to be going to the bookstore for a book signing afterwards, and we could come on down and have our book signed. And so I thought, oh, well, that sounds great. And we get in the car, and we drive over, and I, I get a spot right in front. And um, and then we look out the window, and there is just like a line, like wrapped around the block three times. <laughs> and my son takes one look at that line, and he's like, "You're on your own. I'm waiting in the car." Aww. So I thought, well, okay, I'm just going to go see, and you know, maybe they have a special group for the those of us who were at the event. And so I walk over to the, you know young intern with a clipboard and say, oh, I just came from the radio station. You know, is there somewhere we're supposed to be? And he says, oh, oh, were you with Jennifer? And I said, yes, <laughs> I was with Jennifer. <laughs> and he says, oh, yeah. And he walks me around to the back of the bookstore past, I mean, it's literally thousands of people. They have these little tickets in the books that say like A, 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 B, B, all the way down to like Z, Z mm-hmm. uh, for their place in line. And I, and, you know, he he gets me through the, the people guarding the door and says, oh, you know, she's, she just came from KPCC. She's with Jennifer. And I get in, and then I sort of look around, and, and they've, they've not paying any attention to me anymore. They're busy. And I see that there's a few people in line right at the bottom of the stairs, and they're all holding books. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to go stand at the end of that line and uh, with my book. And then I very uh, surreptitiously peel off the sticker from the competing bookstore <laughs> off the front of the book. And, uh, and then the person in line ahead of me very nicely says, oh, they've asked us to open to this page so we can get through quickly. And, and then two minutes later, in comes Justice Sotomayor with the, you know, all the security and stuff, breezes past us on the stairs, settles in, and we're being ushered into the room to have our book signed. And so I, I get in front of her and I say, oh, I was just at the event with my son. And she says, oh, yeah, I remember you. And she goes, well, my, you got here awfully fast. <laughs> <laughs> and I just laughed, and I, I was so excited, and I got my book signed, and, you know, like two minutes later, I'm back outside, and I'm so excited. I'm just on top of the world, and I, I start shouting to the crowd, it's totally worth it. Hang in there. <laughs> She's so nice. And then uh, there's a news crew, and they see me shouting, and they go, well, she looks interesting. Let's go talk to her. <laughs> and the next thing you know, I got interviewed for the CBS Evening News. Oh, that's cool. And I got to talk about how excited I was and how proud as a Puerto Rican woman from the Bronx to have to see myself represented on the Supreme Court was just thrilling. 
That's so cool. And, you know, so then I, it, this all happens in the space of like 10 minutes. And so I get back to the car and my son says, oh, so I guess you gave up. And I said, are you kidding me? And I showed him the book. Never and give said, up. I'm a Puerto Rican woman from the Bronx. I never give up. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. I love that story. And thank you for sharing it with our listeners. Ms. Genevieve Riatorch, Chief Development Officer of the Westside Food Bank. Again, tell us how we can participate in the pub crawl and help the Westside Food Bank. Visit our website, WSFB.org, like Westside Food Bank, and go to our social media. You'll find all the information there. Uh, all right. Thank you, Genevieve. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Laferne. It's always a pleasure and, and uh, really great to have another chance to talk with you and your audience. All right. I'm Laferne Cusack. This is ESPN LA 710. ESPN LA 710.